If you're new here with us, uh, we are going through the book of 2 Corinthians, and we have titled this series, Power in Weakness. Power in Weakness. And we're going to see that theme repeated throughout this book. Today, we're going to see that theme repeated. And uh, I have titled this message, We Do Not Lose Heart. We Do Not Lose Heart. Now, just this morning... On my way, when, when I pulled up in the parking lot of the church, there was a gentleman on his bicycle riding through who's going through a hard time, and I had a brief conversation with him, and I could just see discouragement and him downcast uh, countenance, and I just wanted to share with him the hope of the gospel, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, and he, he, was, he wasn't very open to, to hearing any of that. And I've talked to this, this gentleman before, but, but here's a guy who is, who is, seems to have lost heart, lost hope, just discouraged with life. And it sounds like he's ready to throw in the towel. Okay. Now that happens. We, we all experience some kind of discouragement in this life, whether you're just living your life as a Christian or non-Christian. But even as you're serving God faithfully, like the apostle Paul was in ministry, doing the will of God, he experienced some hardships right in the center of God's will. As he's living for God, he's living for the glory of God, as, as he's living to advance the gospel and impact people's lives and, and serve others. And as we looked at last week, he was Christ-centered and he was others-oriented. He says, it's Jesus we proclaim as Lord and we yourself, we your servants, we as your servants. And so he was Christ-centered, living for the glory of Jesus to advance the gospel, living to serve others and point others to Jesus. But he faced all kinds of difficulties. And there's a few places in this book, in Second Corinthians, that we see him describing in detail the, the, the immense uh, adversity and afflictions and hardships that he went through. And we're going to get a little glimpse of that this morning. But in light of facing what he faced, he makes these powerful statements. We do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. And so perhaps somebody here today has felt discouraged or faint or you felt like you felt like giving up. Know that even the Apostle Paul faced discouragement, but he could still confidently say, we do not lose heart because he saw his life and his ministry through the lens of the gospel. The God who raises the dead, who delivers us from death, he has and he will deliver us, he said in chapter one. And so what was it that that enabled Paul to not lose heart. Why did, why did he not throw in the towel? Why, why did he not tap out? Why did he not call it quits and just give up? Well, we're going to see several reasons here this morning. And, but let me pray before we read the text. Father, as we open your word, and we get a glimpse of the gospel and what you've done what you've given us, who you've made us. I pray that you would encourage our hearts, encourage us 
and being faithful to you as, as you've been to us. Encourage us to be steadfast and movable, abounding in your work, knowing that our labor is not in vain in you. I pray for the weak and the faint-hearted, the hands that hang down, the, the feeble knees that you would strengthen your people this morning that are weak and discouraged and feel like giving up. I pray that you, the God of hope, would fill us with joy and peace in believing and cause hope to abound by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Paul says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what, was, what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke, we also believe, and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For this is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And as we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And all God's people said, Amen. So here's our big idea this morning. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, God has given us good reasons to be encouraged and not lose heart, but to faithfully continue in the ministry that he has for us. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, God has given us good reasons to be encouraged and not lose heart, but faithfully continue in the ministry that he has for us. So Paul mentions this phrase, we do not lose heart twice in chapter 4. In verse 1, he says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. He's talking about the new covenant that, that, he, that God had made him sufficient to be a minister of, a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. And as we looked at last week, he, he contrasted his ministry Christian ministry of the new covenant with the ministry of the old covenant with the ministry of Moses 
And he says, therefore, we do not, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. And then he says in verse 16, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. And he says something similar in chapter five about courage. He says, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So what was it that gave Paul encouragement? What was it that helped him not to give up, not throw in the towel? And what's it going to be for you, saints, to be faithful, to persevere to the end and hear those words from Jesus with joy? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Well, there's a couple of reasons we're going to look at this morning. And the first one is that we possess treasure in jars of clay. Verse 7, Paul says, we have this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now, what what's the treasure and what are the jars of clay? Well, the jars of clay are is, is the human bodies. The Bible describes our human body as a vessel. Okay? So we're our, the frailty of our bodies, the temporariness of our of our bodies uh are implied in here. Jars of clay. Okay, nothing nothing super special here, just simple jars of clay. But there's there's treasure. There's treasure that's placed in these jars of clay. What's he talking about? Well, the, the previous verses give us some insight to what he's talking about. He's talking about the gospel, the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you and I have, that you and I possess as Christians, the good news that Jesus came to bring rescue to us, to redeem us, to be our Savior and Lord and Redeemer and give us forgiveness and freedom and everlasting life. We've experienced that. And Paul calls this a treasure. This is something valuable. We are to treasure the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul did. He was gospel-centered, and that was his whole message. If you're going to be in a conversation with Paul, you're going to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ because this is what he treasured more than anything else. Jesus, who he is and what he had done to bring rescue. We talk about the things we love and treasure most, do we not? And Paul treasured the gospel. He calls it a treasure. We have it. We possess treasure in jars of clay. F.F. Bruce says that the pottery lamps, which could be bought for a copper or two in the Corinthian marketplace, provided a sufficient analogy. It did not matter how cheap or fragile they were so long as they showed the light. As so long as they showed the light, we're, we're jars of clay. And secondly, we display God's power and life. God's chosen to use these jars of clay, these lives, these human bodies. And Paul's not down, he's not devaluing our human body or teaching that it's unimportant. 
We're, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We should take care of our bodies. Okay, but we're going to get new bodies. And there's, it's not, it's not about how we look on the outside. It's not our outward attractiveness that's so valuable, helpful in our witness for Jesus. It's about the treasure that's been placed on the inside of us. The power of the gospel, the treasure of the gospel, the very life of Jesus that comes through our being that others can see, especially as we go through times of suffering and hardship, when we're squeezed and we're pressed and we're broken, the life of Jesus is manifested Right? If you want to see what's inside of a person, you get them under pressure. You see what's inside of a person. You get, you see what they really think about life and God and, and think about in your relationship with somebody. It's like, once you have that good first conflict, you, you can go deeper and be honest with one another. And, and, and Paul had went through, he had been pressed, and we're going to look at that here in a minute. He went through hardship, and as he did, he describes it as he was carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is working in us, but life in you. What a beautiful reality that we get to display, that we have Christ in us and we get to display his life to others and his power. Verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Now, this should keep us humble, right? The fact that it's not about us, it's about it's about God. It's about him. He's the hero. We, we're free to just be who he's made us to be. We don't have to impress anybody. But we have a message that is valuable, that is powerful, that is life-changing, that those who hear it and believe it and receive it experience salvation, eternal life, redemption, rescue. And so we display God's power paul later on in chapter 12 when he when he pleaded for god to take away the thorn that was in his flesh jesus's reply to him was my grace is sufficient my power is made perfect in your weakness or my strength is made perfect in your weakness it's okay that we're jars of clay it's okay that we're weak and we're fragile. God knows that. He's not looking for, for our ability. He's looking for our availability. Are we available to him? Because he takes weak, fragile jars of clay, puts his life, his power, his love, his spirit in us, and he displays his glory for all to see especially as the people of God go through the fire, especially as they go through hardship, suffering. It's more evident to the outsiders when they see believers suffer well 
and show by their actions in their hardship that, that this life, the things of this world aren't our treasure. Okay? But the things that are unseen are what we're living for. And so we display God's power in his life, Christian. That's, that was true of Paul and that's true of us. Philip Hughes writes this about power and weakness. And here's our theme. This is what we've called this series, uh, strength and weakness or power and weakness. It is precisely the Christian's utter frailty which lays him open to the experience of all the sufficiency of God's grace so that he is able to even, uh, able even to rejoice because of his weakness. Something that astonishes and baffles the world, which thinks only in terms of human ability. Now, remember, we, 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 we've said over and over that there were these, these super apostles, these false apostles who were challenging Paul's leadership, challenging his authority. And they esteemed, they had worldly standards. They esteemed eloquence of speech. They, they had, they had, they looked on the outside. Okay, do they have strong stage presence and eloquence of speech, right? And Paul says, you know, I, I don't emphasize that. My, I'm not trusting in that. He I, he said in First Corinthians chapter two, I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling, and I determined to know nothing except Christ and Him crucified, so that your so that your faith would not be in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. Paul was okay saying that he came with weakness because God's power was, was manifested through that weakness and God gets the glory and, and he, God gets the credit for manifesting his power through weak vessels. The cross itself, the message of the cross is foolishness to unbelievers. It's foolishness to the world. They, they look and they see weakness and they see shame and like, why is this supposedly great leader shamefully dying on a cross? But God's chosen that, that path for Christianity. That was the path for Jesus. That's the path for his followers. We, 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 we move forward and we, we carry on in the journey with our weaknesses, but we're dependent upon God's power and God's strength to fit in those weaknesses. This should free us up because we all, if we're honest, we all have frailty and weakness and things that, that we, we tend to hide from others. We may feel ashamed or uh, afraid for others to to know our weaknesses, but but when we when we really grasp the gospel of grace and we and we know God's heart towards us and we're secure in who we are in Christ, it frees us up to quit trying to impress people and only show your strong hand and your strong side. You can you can you can you can allow your weakness to be seen because it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus and his glory being manifested through us. There's been many times where I have felt weak and inadequate here on uh, Sunday mornings, even in, in ministry opportunities, going in to visit someone, a hospital or uh, pray for a sick person. And just times where it's like, I don't have the words. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I can't heal this person. I can't change these circumstances. But God shows up 
in my weakness and I acknowledge, God, I'm weak. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. I don't have the words in and of myself. I don't know what to say or how to handle this situation, but you do. And I ask for your help. And God just set it up that way. I mean, it brings us, it brings us back to that relationship with him. Right? Because if, if we were self-sufficient, if we had everything in, in and of ourselves, we wouldn't look to God for help. We would, we would be arrogant and independent. We wouldn't look to others in the body of Christ with their strengths and their gifts to contribute. And so another reason that Paul did not lose heart is that though he experienced pressures, they worked for him. Though we experience pressures, hardships, they work for us. It's purposeful pain. It's purposeful pressure that's put upon our life that doesn't go wasted. That word affliction uh, in the ESV, we're afflicted. It, it means to, to put pressure on. The NLT translates it here. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never banded by God. We, we get knocked down, but, but we are not destroyed. Or we get knocked down, but we don't get knocked out. Um, and, and Paul had been beaten in so many ways, so many, so many experiences he had been, he, he talks about it in chapter uh, six, all that he went through. And yet, though he was pressed, he was not crushed. Though he was persecuted, he was not forsaken. Though he was perplexed, he was not driven to despair. Though he was knocked down, he was not destroyed. His circumstances didn't get the last word over his life and his ministry, but God did. And so he continued. He didn't lose heart. Somebody that came to my mind as I was thinking about this was William Carey, the missionary. <clears throat> I'm going to read to you guys. This is from a uh, Michael and Sharon Rustin. They wrote a one-year book of Christian history. And this is a devotional uh, that me and my family have used. William Carey dedicated his life to spreading the gospel in India serving as a missionary there from 1793 until his death in 1834. He hoped to translate the scripture into as many Indian languages and dialects as possible. Carey supervised the creation of India's first printing press. He established a large print shop in the city of Sarapur, where he did his Bible translation. The building was 200 by 50 feet. And 20 translators worked there in addition to typesetters, compositors, pressmen, binders, and other writers. On March 11th, 1812, Carey was teaching in Calcutta. When he was gone, a fire started in the print room. Despite many hours of exhausted efforts to, to fight the fire, the building burned to the ground. Just five pieces of equipment were saved. Carey's entire library, his completed Sanskrit dictionary, part of the Bengali dictionary, two grammar books, ten translations of the Bible were lost, gone. Also were the types, uh, the typesets for printing 14 different languages, vast quantities of English paper, priceless dictionaries and deeds, uh, and, and account books were all gone. When Carrie returned to Serapur, 
and surveyed the scene, he wept. And this is what he said. He said, in one short evening, the labors of years are consumed. How, uns- how unsearchable are the ways of God. I have lately brought some things to ut- utmost perfection of which they seem capable and contemplated the missionary establish- establishment with perhaps too much self-congratulation. The Lord has laid me low and I look more simply to him. Although he was heartbroken, he did not take much time to mourn. With great resiliency, Carrie wrote, the loss is heavy. But as traveling a road the second time is usually done with greater ease than the first time, so I trust the work will lose nothing of real value. We are not discouraged. Indeed, the work is already begun again in every language. We are cast down but not in despair. Carrie resolved to trust God that from the embers would come a better press and more scholarly translations. Within a few months, Carrie had set up a shop and a warehouse. Little did Carrie know that the fire would bring him and his work to the attention of people all over Europe and America, as well as in India, and in just 50 days in England and Scotland alone. About 10,000 pounds were raised for rebuilding Carey's publishing enterprise. So much money was coming in that Andrew Fuller, Carey's friend and a leader of his mission in England, told his committee when he returned from a fundraising trip, we must stop the contributions. Many volunteers came to India to help as well. By 1832, Carey's rebuilt and expanded printing operation had published complete Bibles or portions of the Bible in 44 languages and dialects. So we see God working in in this story. God does this all the time. At, At times when it just looks despairing, And we may want to throw in the towel when we're tempted to just quit and just give up. Missionaries asking like, what difference are we making? We've been here years and we haven't seen one convert yet. God's at work. Through our affliction, he's working in us. He's He's changing us. He's shaping us through the pressures, through the hardships to look more like Jesus. There's rewards that, that, that are provided for us in heaven, heavenly rewards for being faithful. And he uses our, our fish and loaves, our two fish and loaves, our meager, what we bring to the table. And he multiplies and he works through our weakness to display his power and do what only he could do. He did this with the apostle Paul. He did this with William Carey, and he will do that through our lives. If we don't lose heart, if we don't give up, if we don't throw in the towel. What what Christian ministry has God called you to, saints? God's given us all a ministry to be, be actively engaged in and reaching people and serving him and honoring him and representing him. Right where you're at, your family, your work, your community. 
Where's your ministry? Who are those that God's given you opportunity to influence for the sake of the gospel? And have you given up? Are you discouraged? Have you lost heart? Be of good courage, saints. Be of good courage because we possess a treasure, the treasure of the gospel. We display the power and the life of Jesus through these weak vessels, these jars of clay. We're pressed but not crushed, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. God's at work. Paul had an eternal perspective and so should we. If we're not going to lose heart, we need an eternal perspective. We need to see things from a higher perspective. He had resurrection hope. Verse 13, he says, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Again, Paul saw his life and ministry through the lens of the gospel. He had resurrection hope. He had this outlook of hope, this outlook and attitude of faith. He describes it as a spirit of faith, quoting Psalms, Psalms 116. And in, in, in Psalm 116, the psalmist is uh, describing how God had delivered him from death. And he describes how the death of saints is precious. The lives and the death of saints are precious in his sight. God's merciful and gracious. And, and, and so the psalmist is speaking about this, this hope that he has in God and God delivering him from death. And so Paul has, he quotes Psalm 116 and he, he says, we have that same spirit of faith. We're believers. We, we look through eyes of faith. We look with eyes of hope instead of only seeing the negative and only seeing despair and destruction and darkness. Because Jesus was raised from the dead and he can raise Sinners who are dead in their sin and he will raise us up literally in the resurrection and give us new bodies. In verse 15, Paul says, for, for all this is for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. I call this gospel impact. He says, all this is for your sake. So that the grace will extend, or as he said earlier, so that the life of Jesus would be manifested, so that you would experience life. Though we're experiencing death through the hardships and the hazards that we're walking through as we're trying to spread the gospel, it's for Jesus' sake, and it's for your sake. So that more grace that like, like waves or ripple effects, the grace extends to more and more people. And what does it do? When people encounter the grace of the gospel, it causes gratitude. I love how the Spanish language, uh, and the, the word thank you is gracias. Gracias. There's a close connection between grace and gratitude. Okay. Grace produces gratitude, thanksgiving. 
which leads to glory to God, right? When we encounter the grace of God in salvation and we, we recognize that he has been gracious to us, it should cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. This is the ultimate outcome of, of God saving people. It's not only our joy and our salvation, but glory to him. Thanksgiving being brought to him. Paul also describes his perspective as a eternal weight of glory. He says, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Anybody feel like that? The older, the older you get, things start falling apart, wasting away, knees start going out, hearing, what'd you say? Eyesight, you go down to, to read something and, and you can't see the words because you need readers. You need, you need some specs, right? Get, get personal. <laughs> Though our outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Okay, these clay pots, they're breaking down. These bodies are breaking down. That can be very discouraging, right? That can be very discouraging. Is You don't have the same stamina and energy that you once had or ability, capacity to do what you once did. But your, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And that's what we focus on because that is going to last forever. What's on the inside? Your character, your being is going to last forever. That's why we teach our children character. Our outward man is wasting away. Our inner man is being renewed day by day. And he calls his affliction a light and momentary affliction. Light and momentary affliction. Okay, next time you're going through some really hard stuff, remember that little phrase. Light, it's, this is in comparison, in comparison to the eternal weight of glory, in comparison to what God is doing, this is light and momentary. It's not going to be like this forever. God is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And so we don't look at the things that are seen. We look at the things that are unseen, the eternal things. In chapter 5, he goes in and expounds on this a little bit more, this eternal perspective. He says, for we know that, that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan longing to put on our heavenly dwelling if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked for while we are still in this tent we groan being burdened not that we would be unclothed but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life paul's expounding on the resurrection hope that we have the gospel hope that we have that in this life this is not all that we have there is an eternal home and there is a new body that awaits us in the resurrection and the spirit assures us of this hope of ours the spirit that he's given to dwell inside of us he says, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, and he's given us his spirit as a guarantee. I love what Eugene Peterson does with this. He paraphrases this. He says, we have been given a glimpse of the real 
thing, our true home, our resurrection bodies, the Spirit of God whets our appetite by giving us a taste of what's ahead. He puts a little of heaven in our hearts so that we will never settle for less. The Spirit of God whets our appetites. We have this guarantee, this assurance that what God has promised us will come to pass in the resurrection. And so we don't lose heart. We don't give up. God's given us a taste of heaven. He's promised us, we are promised a glorious new home with God and a new body. So we are always of good courage, he says. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Eugene Peterson paraphrases this. And he says, that's why we live with such good cheer. You won't see us drooping our heads or dragging our feet. Cramped conditions here don't get us down. They only remind us of the spacious living conditions ahead. It's what we trust in but don't yet see that keeps us going. Do you suppose a few ruts in the road or rocks in the path are going to stop us? When the time comes, we'll be plenty ready to exchange exile for our homecoming. And so let us not lose heart because we have... We possess treasure in these earthen vessels. We put God's power and life on display. His power through our weaknesses is put on display. We're pressed but not crushed. We have a perspective that enables us to endure, to see beyond just the here and the now. And so in application, Paul gives us some application in verse 9 and verse 10. In view of eternity, make it your aim to please God. So whether we, he says, verse 9, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. When was the last time you consciously thought about pleasing your heavenly father? (laughs) This morning, my four-year-old, Justice, was sitting contently at the breakfast table eating his donut and he told me, you're the, you're the best daddy in the whole world. I thought, thank you. What did I do to earn such a compliment? And then, and then he says, and then he asks, he, or he, he says, um, am I obeying you and mommy right now? And I, and I said, yes, yes, you are. He wasn't doing anything. I didn't ask him to do anything. He was just enjoying his donut contently at the breakfast table. And he had a very nice thing to say to his daddy which I so appreciate. And it didn't take him much effort to please me in that moment. He was just being himself, a son in the house where he belongs, where he's loved and he's accepted and he experiences grace. Give him another donut for breakfast. Well, then we get to church and he's being sweet, but then he starts to take off around and I go to get him and he does a lap around here. And then... Then we have to step into the other room and have to have a conversation. It's human nature comes out, right? We're wired to bring pleasure to God. We're wired to experience, to be recipients of, 
and conduits of the pleasure of God. And God promises us that forevermore. Heaven is not going to be boring. It's not going to be a joy kill. Psalm 1611 says, In your presence is the fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I remember as a new believer, I was probably a Christian for six months, and I was thinking about heaven at night. I was trying to go to sleep, and I was just thinking about God and heaven. And I had this kind of scary thought, like, what if I get bored in heaven? You know, are they going to have basketball up there? Maybe. I don't know. But I had this feeling of, like, despair. Like, man, eternity is a long time. Like, at some point I might get bored, you know. I mean, forever up there doing whatever I'm going to be doing. And as soon as I felt that feeling of despair and that dark thought, I got down on my knees in the presence of God just filled my room. God met me right there as a young 17-year-old new Christian, and I just got this big smile on my face. And I said, God, I can spend eternity in your presence. I mean, sure, everything's going to be great. It's going to be much better than this place here. And there's, there's a lot of beauty and goodness to experience in this world, right? We're getting our fall season to, to soak it up while you can, right? Um, there's a lot to experience in this world, but there's so much more beyond our imagination, beyond what we can even imagine for eternity, for years upon years, where we're going to see glory and beauty and goodness and experience a world of perfect love, no brokenness, no pain, no disease, no cancer, no war, no divorce. No death, no weeping. And so we're, we're made, we're wired to live in the pleasure of God, to experience pleasures forevermore at His right hand. So while we're here, y'all, let's live for His pleasure, for His glory. Let's live to please Him and let's enjoy doing it. He's most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. You believe that? God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. We can live to please Him and find our own satisfaction and joy and pleasure in doing so. Because He he knows what's best for us. And lastly, know that you'll give an account to God. Verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for what He has done in the body, whether good or evil. There's a day when we're going to stand before Jesus and we're going to be called into an account. We're going to give an account for how we lived our lives, how we've used our resources, how we used our time, how we, how we have used our gifts, all the opportunities that have come our way. Did we squander them? Did we take our talent and bury it? Or were we faithful with the little to honor God? We're going to give an account before Him. And you know what? That doesn't have to be, that doesn't have to be a negative thing because if we're, if we're faithful, He's going to reward us. If we're unfaithful as, as believers and, and we're not diligent and steadfast and movable, abounding in the work of the Lord, 1 Corinthians 3, those believers are going to experience a, suffer loss. 
Their works are going to go through the fire of God's judgment. And the works may be wood, hay, and stubble that get burned up that don't last. And there's no reward in eternity. But those who've been motivated by love and energized by the grace of God, doing the will of God, they're going to experience reward. And their works are described as gold, silver, and precious stone. Right? There's going to be rewards for what we've done. And it's okay to seek that and desire that. Right? God is a reward. We must, even to come to God, we must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. That's a legitimate motivation. We have the resurrection, there's the hereafter, and there are rewards that will be given out for faithfulness at the resurrection. And so, it's a sobering reality when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But it's also a very positive thing. First John 2.28 says this. It says, And now children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back with shame. Not be ashamed. Let us be faithful. Actually, here's, here's the last application point. Therefore, my beloved brothers. This is Paul after he describes the resurrection and defends the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15.50. 58, he says, therefore, my beloved brothers and and sisters are implied, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Doing ministry with and for the glory of God is not a burden. It's an opportunity. It's a blessing. He's worth it in response to all he's done for us that we pour ourselves out and our resources out for the glory of God and for the good of others knowing that our labor is not in vain that God sees it and God will reward faithfulness. Amen?